0: Welcome to Mission 150, the podcast that tells stories from 150 years of Seventh-day Adventist mission to the world. To find out more about the mission of the Adventist Church today, go to adventismission.org.
1: That's adventismission.org. Today we're joined by Dr. Gary Krauss, Director of the General Conference Office of Adventist Mission. Gary, welcome to Mission 150.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Gary, some of our audience may be wondering, why does the World Headquarters have an Office of Adventist Mission?
2: Isn't Adventist Mission something that the whole church contributes to? The whole church should be involved in mission 100%. Yes, so we don't need the Office of Adventist Mission. <laughs> other side. No, that's exactly right. But we do need to make sure that we keep focus on mission. And although that's why we're not called a department, we're not just a we're not responsible for the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but we are there to help equip, inspire, challenge all departments, entities and services to be involved in missions. So, you know, when Global Mission started, it was not a department of Global Mission because everyone should be involved in Global Mission. The Office of Adventist Mission, everyone should be involved, but we do have special resources to promote mission, to support mission, etc. Gary, is there an issue
0: with the word mission? It's such a big, potent word in Seventh day Adventist circles, you know, mission. Um, and yet it gets used for so many different things. It has so many potential different meanings. Do you think it might be helpful to draw a distinction between evangelism, which is something that every local Adventist church should do, and mission, which is what happens where there are no or very few Adventist churches or they find it difficult? because of regulations, government laws, whatever,
2: to do any outreach. Is that a helpful distinction, do you think? I think it is. The challenge for us is that the word evangelism has been hijacked to a certain extent. And when I say that, I think it's fair to say that most Adventists, when they think of the word evangelism, they're thinking of proclamation, which is certainly a part of evangelism. It comes from evangelon, sharing the good news. But the mission that Jesus, demonstrated when he was here on earth was much more than just proclamation and it was just more than giving information. And so I think you're correct that mission is something that we need to think of as more holistically rather than just what a local church does in their own community. It's something that is done with an eye, with a goal to reach all peoples, particularly unreached peoples. Mm -hmm. So when I'm thinking about mission, I'm thinking Christ's method of ministry, but in a way to reach those who have not yet heard the good news. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think it it's does. almost like evangelism is a, is a subset of mission.
0: Absolutely. Yes. That's, that's, that's how I would think of yeah. it. Evangelism is a subset of, of mission, yeah. and therefore one can't see the two as being simply synonymous. But before we go any further, Gary, let's find out a bit more about you, having learned a little bit about Adventist mission, and we'll learn more later you are currently serving as a missionary, are you not? Because you were
2: called from Australia to the to... jungles of North America. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a hard, it's a hard life, I'm sure. It's funny, you know, when I, when I sometimes jokingly say that to Americans, I'll say, we need it, <laughs> which is nice of them to say that.
0: America is such a pagan, godless country that, you know, there's, there's need for, for godly Australians to come. Oh, of course. Um, but don't you have an even earlier connection with Adventist
2: mission? Sure. Um my parents went as missionaries from Australia to Fiji in the South Pacific Islands. And back in those days they got on a boat and they sailed across to well, I guess it wasn't a sailing ship, but they went across to Fiji. And my father taught at Fulton College mm. in Fiji. And so that's where I was born. And I guess I grew up in a home that prioritized missions. So I grew up in a family where Family worship every day, we would pray for the missionaries in the islands. And that just became a, a ritual, something that you always had in your mind that we pray for mission missionaries and mission is important. And on our table, we would only have marmite because marmite was manufactured by Sanitarium, which was a Seventh day Adventist company, and their pr- profits would help the mission of the church. If we had Vegemite, which was made by the opposition, was almost like taking missionaries out of the field. (laughs) So so yes, very much that sort of a mission focus.
0: So even extending to what you put on your toast at breakfast in the morning.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was your career in Australia before you came to the General Conference?
2: Uh, My focus was on communication. In fact, when I was a kid living in New Zealand, I wrote to the editor of the South Pacific Record, which was the division paper asked him, what do I have to do to take your job when I get older? (laughs) She wrote back a very, that was Bob Parr, he sent back a very nice letter. Uh, So my focus was on communication and I started working as an editor at Science Publishing Company. Then after that, I went to be creative director at the Adventist Media Centre in Sydney.
1: I see. So you're really in my lane here on, on communication. We are, we are we brothers. We are brothers. Which explains why you're such a good communicator. You're very kind. I first heard you speak um, in GAIN. I should think say what was, that is. Uh, GAIN is a uh, global Adventist internet network. It's an event that we have um, every year that focuses on the use of the internet for mission. That's the purpose of it. It's 19 years old this year, the event. Hmm. Uh, t- next year will be 20 years. And I heard you deliver a talk about mission. And I thought, my goodness, he can communicate very effectively. You were, you were really funny, but also very powerful in what you delivered.
2: Thank you. That was very generous of you. I remember that the keynote speaker that had been lined up fell through.
1: Is that what happened?
2: So at the last minute, (laughs) Gary, can you come in and help?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know who the keynote speaker is, but it was, but I'm pretty glad that happened. Oh, thank you. Um, When you came to the General Conference from Australia, how did you end up here? And what did you start doing here?
2: So I was working at the media center in Sydney and at lunchtime, I went home to have lunch. There was a message on the answering machine of the phone. And so I checked it and it was a Elder Mike Ryan from the General Conference saying that he had a position available and would I be interested in coming, so. How did he know about you? He must have asked some Australian people who worked here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, you, got, you literally got a call from somebody you'd never heard of yeah. before.
2: No, I'd heard, heard of his name, never, never spoken to him. And what him, was the position? Communication director for Global Mission. Huh. So Global Mission was fairly young at that stage and he was looking for a communication director.
0: And so that was your first role at the General
2: Conference? After much prayer and back and forth mm. and do we want to go to the other side of the world, um, I remember calling my mother and saying, you know, this is so far away, mum, et cetera, and there was quiet silence on the end of the phone. Then she said, well, when we went to Fiji, we went on a boat. We didn't have furloughs every few years. We didn't have the phone. We didn't have the internet. I got the message that yeah, this, was, <laughs> this was no sacrifice. Was <laughs> your, your daughter already born there? No, she was born here. Right,
0: right. Yeah. So that, that made it a little easier right. to in one sense.
2: Yeah, it was actually an, an adventure we felt called to. Yeah. Yes. Um, you mentioned being
0: Communication Director for Global Mission, and yet earlier we introduced you as Director of the Office of Adventist Mission. Yeah. Now... What today is the Office of Adventist Mission, isn't it right that it used to be two separate entities? There was Global Mission, the Office of Global Mission, and the Office of Mission Awareness. So tell us about Global Mission, the, the, the entity you were called to work with by Elder Mike Ryan. Tell us about how Global Mission got started and what it did and, and what it still does, if it does it's something still.
2: Right. So in the late 1980s, church leaders came from all around the world they went to Cahata Springs in Georgia. Georgia, And there they, very impressive, <laughs> immediately he knows his American geography. Hey. So they went to Cahata Springs, Georgia, and they prayed. They put up the world map and they saw where the church was present, where it wasn't present, where it was strong, where it was weak. And they put some plans together. They thought, how are we going to reach these large people groups that have never been reached before. And this was something quite radical, was it not? It was radical. It was a total missionary focus because as you know well, Dr. Trim, when you look at the history of the Adventist church and the demographics, our growth has come almost exclusively from other Christian denominations and from animists. So they suddenly saw there's these huge world religions that we've scarcely touched there are territories where we have not even begun work. There are big cities where we historically have not done well. So what are we going to do? How are we going to shift our resources, our focus? And so they started with the thinking about what they called global strategy. This is going to be a global mission strategy. And they actually came out with a document um, called The Global Strategy of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm. And I still have that on my computer. And it's interesting. I I refer to it quite regularly because I see it as the blueprint for global mission, which was the result of global strategy. So in 1990, at the general conference session in Indianapolis, they voted the global mission initiative to start new groups of believers in unentered territories and unreached people groups. And this was a, Interesting shift because historically we tended to talk in terms of geography. Countries. Countries. And but you know, we can we can go to I can take you to say Burma, Myanmar today. Yes. We've had an Adventist presence there for more than a hundred years, we have thousands of members, we have a seminary, we have all sorts of activities, churches. But Ninety-nine percent of the church members come from about two or three percent of the population. They come mm. from the minority hill tribes group, the Karen, the Chin people, and the majority Burmese Buddhist population have scarcely been touched. So geographically, it's been entered by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but when you think in terms of people groups, no. So Global Mission helped us think in terms of right. people groups. And
0: people groups was not something that Adventists had talked about before the late 80s, though it was something evangelicals started talking about, what, in the mids to late 70s?
2: Probably, yeah, I think so. What is a people group? It depends on what angle you take. You know, some people talk in terms of language groups. It can be a cultural group, mm. uh, an ethnic group. For me, it can be something as simple as a group of skateboarders are a pe- people group. They have their own culture, they have their own language, right. You know, what, whatever. So, but, but usually when we're looking at people groups, we're thinking about religion and we're also thinking about language.
1: Yeah.
0: And okay. I think uh, actually work, if, if one defines people groups in that way, then that makes it less of an alien concept because I think any church pastor is used to working with different people groups in his territory, especially oh. if it's if, if, if like Sam,
1: was the case with Sam, he had two or three churches. Yeah, yeah and one of them had 56 nationalities. yeah. So the, the, that's any urban area. Gary, I think you visited me at Wimbledon once. Yeah. Um, so you would, and I think my, my teenage years helped because I grew up in England, and there were about 60 nationalities in the boarding school where I studied. And so as a pastor later on, it was very helpful to see that difference. So you would go from talking to, let's say, a Zimbabwean in the car park, my head deacon, who wanted more clear directions about what to do with the cars. And if I asked for his opinion, he would say, but what do you want? And I would say, okay, let's put the cars here and there. And he would turn and talk to Boris, the German, and you would immediately say, Boris, what do you think about this you know, concept here? And if I told him what to do, he would, he would not stay for long uh talking to me so this um this tension between the multiple cultures in our urban areas it is um in many of them it is the the daily life you know you go shopping and yes. and you experience multiple cultures in just a simple outing and back yeah, and i think gary that would That would fit your definition
0: of a people group, of saying a group of Zimbabweans, say, but living as expatriates in London, because they're going to be different to groups of Zimbabweans living in Zimbabwe, because they've had that experience, and it will have changed them in, in significant and often indefinable
2: ways. Definitely. And this is important missiologically, because it means that if we're going to communicate effectively to these people... We may be doing it in a different way to these people over here because they're going to be hearing it through different ears and they're going to be seeing it through different lens. So it's not talking about watering down the truth. It's not talking about compromise or syncretism. It's just making how do we make this meaningful, understandable, and attractive to people from different
1: perspectives. Uh, did you notice the, the development of, of... Gary's definition of mission is communication. Yeah, that's right. So so (laughs) I I can see how your your background would have informed this, which I think is very appropriate because if you take the scatological view that our missionaries had, that our pioneers had from the beginning was, you know, you must prophesy again. Yes. We we have this message and we need to reach every human being alive with this message. Even before we had a structure, the whole point of our mission was a communication process. If we fail to communicate, we fail. That's right. It's as simple as that. So your description of a people group um, is a group of people that will understand uh, things in a certain way. And hmm. we have the humility enough to to learn how to communicate with them and then have the courage to communicate with them. Um, and, and there's another tension that i like to bring to you in this, in this which is the, the idea of rejection. Okay, so when you're learning a new language, when you're learning to communicate with a people group, you often want to be accepted, right? That's the point. You're learning a language, you're trying to say things as clearly as possible because you want to belong. You develop by then a love in your heart for the people that you are trying to, to reach. What happens when you have a very unpopular message like fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come? Mm. What happens when your message will evoke a sense of, of rejection from the people that you're trying to reach? How do you navigate that tension between wanting to belong and delivering a message that mm. may cast you out? Mm.
2: Well, I always refer back to Christ's example and I think Ellen White summarizes it the best of all when she talks about
0: Christ's method alone,
2: being yeah the only method that will work, and I believe it's as true today as it was when Jesus was on Earth. So the first step is mingling, showing sympathy, ministering to needs. But the key is that winning of confidence, and once you have won the, the confidence of people, a message that you share with them is totally different than if you shared that message without having the confidence. So it's a whole lot easier for me to share my faith with somebody who asks me about it than it is if I deliver it without being asked, if you know what I mean. They've got no one to blame for me sharing other than themselves because they asked me. So I believe the context is important, the framework is important, the platform that you have built with a person, the trust that you have. If I just come in cold turkey, fear God, the hour of his judgment has come. First of all, most people haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. Who's the Lord? What judgment? Why has it come now? Um, so, you have to do it within a context of trust and a context where you are going to be understood, and you do it in a delivery in a way not just of information. But I'm sharing with this with you because I love you. And
0: of course, it would work differently with different cultures and different people groups. There would be some groups in, in certain parts of the world who have no doubt that there are deities and indeed that the deities are probably often angry, and so fear God, the hour of his judgment is sure. come, would be like, okay, right. tell us more about this. <laughs> you know, how do we avoid it? Uh, what, what needs to be done? Sure. Whereas with other people, it's like, as you say, well, what God is this?
2: Right. And talking with our Muslim brothers and sisters and talking about judgment, no problem whatsoever. They're very, they're very conversant in that sort of thought. But you know, you think, not Sam, necessarily a Christian no, view. No, 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 no. But you think, Sam, something like Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. Okay, try that with an investment broker on middle of London. Okay, Jesus paid to whom? The price, what price? For your sins, what sins? Oh, I'm a good person. So it's all that that needs to be unpacked. So we can have our package of information that we want to share but if it's not understood, it's a total waste of time.
0: And so this is one reason for the, that they identified it in the late 80s the need for a global strategy because the church had done well at reaching other Christians who were used to propositional kinds of truths really? where you come in and say, here's a biblical text, let me explain what it means. And people would say, oh, great. And they'd done well in reaching animists who have a more simplistic view of the world. And so fear God. Yes, absolutely. I fear God all the time. All right. um, to, to have the news of a God who loved you and died for you is actually really, truly is good news. Yeah. Um, but outside, we, we, we were beginning to exhaust the possibilities of those two groups, perhaps. And therefore, we needed to find ways to, to reach other pe- pe- people for whom it was necessary to unpack things.
2: Sure. And the number of people who shared our, underst- shared our trust in the Bible started to decrease in certain parts of the world, Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, now increasingly North America. We can't go to as many people and say, hey, we both share trust in this Bible. Let me show you some truth from it. We've got to step back one, two, three, four, five steps before that, before we can get to that sort of a stage.
0: And perhaps even more than that to to talk to muslims successfully oh, of course and we still haven't done really very very well at uh, at reaching muslims in many parts of the world that's
1: right we have a principle in the structure of the adventist church and we'll come to that when we do talk about the reorganization at some point because we're going chronologically in history and now we're coming to the future and then we're going back and yes we're going to travel all over the the time continuum here
2: everything happens in this program. Right, yeah. everything.
1: It's the, right it's here. The, the past and the present of Adventist mission. Yes. And the future. And the, the future. We hope so. There there we you... say <laughs> prophetically talking about the future. <laughs> so we have this principle of ascending responsibility for mission. So if you have a, a local church and within that town, let's say, the responsibility to plant new churches rests with those believers who start with a small group perhaps or a, what we used to call attached uh, Sabbath school. There was a the name for that. Branch uh, uh, Sabbath, Sabbath, school. Sabbath School. That's right. So, but another city within that state or within that region, it would be the responsibility of the conference now that has no Adventist presence in this particular town. Then they absorb the responsibility. The tithe is there, and they have resources for mission and offerings. They say, "Okay, let's plant a church in this city here that doesn't have an Adventist presence," and then they provide resources to the degree that they can. And that's when it happens. When you have generally a much larger area, the union takes that responsibility. And eventually, if there is a part of the world that is largely unreached, I believe that's what happened in the 80s. The General Conference woke up and said, hold on a minute, if we are going to finish this mission, if mm. we are going to go to, you know, everywhere in the world, uh, there were enough numbers then, and they were bold enough, I guess, to have this global strategy, which I love. And we are still living within that. Um, that context. But there is a new movement now, which is for different parts of the world to take the responsibility for other parts of the world and invest resources and missionaries and so on. Tell us more about that.
2: So this is called missionary focus, mm-hmm. and this is a new initiative. Uh, and when I say new initiative, it is a new initiative, but from my f- perspective, it's actually going back it's to right. reiterate the principles of global mission in 1990, and that is to refocus our missionaries, our resources, our attention, not just on our own community needs where we are, but in other challenging parts of the world. So part of this missionary focus is not for a local field or a local institution or entity to take responsibility for other parts of the world so much as it is to to support the divisions that are caring for those territories, if you know what I mean. So every, the world is t- divided up into all the divisions of the world church, but some divisions are blessed with more resources, personnel yes. and funds. Yes. And some of the areas which have the biggest mission challenges Are the areas with the fewest funds and resources.
0: And this was part of the the recognition of global strategy, wasn't it? Exactly. There are are parts of the world which lack the resources to evangelize their own territory. Correct. North America, South America, Inter-America, these days Eastern and Southern Africa, all have the resources to evangelize their own territory. They've all got places within them that are hard to reach or that are underreached. But they all have the resources that if they're taken from across the division and applied, they can evangelize their own territory. In other parts of the world, it's not just that the local church or the local conference is lacking in resources. Across the division as a whole, there may not be enough resources to evangelize the whole territory. And I think that was part of what was recognized in 1989.
2: Exactly. And it's being recognized again now. And so what's happening, Sam, is those all areas are asked, what can you do? to help another mission challenged area so middle east north africa union for example south america or south pacific division or nad is there perhaps something that you could do to help those territories over there above and beyond what you're doing already and it is actually repeating the past david because i was looking at absolutely the, the first missionaries who went to to korea were not funded by the General Conference. They were sent by, I believe, the South Dakota Conference of the North America Division.
0: Yes, and there were in the, in the early 20th century, there were individual conferences within the United States would fund missionaries themselves, not send the funds to the General Conference and say the General Conference paid for them. They would keep them on their payroll. Um, the South Dakota Conference actually also sent a missionary to inter-America, but there were a number of conferences that sent missionaries to China, and that's one way we were able to... Grow the church in China, which is something we talked about in a, a previous podcast. One of the ways we were able to grow it fairly quickly is because it wasn't just funds coming from the General Conference. There were local conferences saying, "No, we will pay
1: the salary of a minister and his wife to go to this territory." I think this is one of the antidotes to the General Conference becoming too big and bloated, mm. because what we've always been allergic to to this uh, to higher entities having too much influence and too much money and too much power, let's say. Right. So we've always been allergic to this. That's why most of our tithe stays in a local conference, um, and a little bit trickles up just enough. But if we were to take on all the territories of the world that are unentered or are difficult to reach, it would mean that this, these finances would be, if it all goes through here, I don't think they would be as healthy as if, you know, uh, what your, the, this refocus, a conference, a union, a division decides we're gonna sponsor six families of missionaries to go to this other territory over here. And what do you need? Oh, you need leadership in education. Let's see, we've got this person here right. who's been, is the second generation educator, has plenty of experience in it and she can help you. Right. Um, which Because those things really matter. Having multiple generations of, of specialists um, who can provide that leadership. I was talking to one of your colleagues the other day about, and he was mentioning the fourth generation being very important. So you travel to a place and you have a first generation of people that are baptized and now believe this mission. Then you have a second generation and then the third. And the fourth is really the, 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 the magic happens in the fourth. Because now you have enough of that uh, uh, contextualization for mission and local leadership that can help lead uh, a lot. So I like that very much, Gary. I think that's a game changer.
0: And I think also it, it has um, potential because it allows people, at the lo- if, especially if it's conferences that do it as opposed to just divisions. And in some parts of the world, divisions are saying, we'll do it. But in other parts, they're facilitating their unions and conferences to say, we will adopt this territory. And I think that has potential because what it means is that Somebody in the such-and-such conference in North America, say, or in the Philippines can say, right, my tithe is going to be used to support a missionary directly here. Whereas at the moment, the tithe, a percentage of it goes upwards and a percentage of that goes upwards and eventually it gets to the general conference and the general conference takes all those funds and uses them for mission. But no church member can there say, point at a particular person in a particular mission field and say, my offerings, my tithes did that.
1: And in a local conference, that would be possible.
0: And it, and it would, or e- even in a union, whereas at the, the, at the GC, what mm-hmm. we can say is we can point at the totality of the right. church's mission efforts and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. your money did that. But somehow that's not as, it doesn't connect with people as much. And it's not quite as inspiring as to be able to say, right, this person who I see on Facebook, Mm-hmm. Or I see on Vivid Faith, which is we, yeah. we talked with the director of last week, I know this person and this person is there because I and people like me in my local conference have given and sacrificed towards this. I think there's something powerful in that. Yeah. So
2: I got a phone call last week from a conference president saying, we want to sponsor two church planting teams in the 1040 window. Praise God. Yeah. When that happens, can you imagine the church members in that conference? They're going to take an interest in those church planning teams. They're going to hear the reports. They're going to hear the stories. They're going to hear the challenges. Can you imagine how mission is going to, the, the interest in mission is going to rise in those churches in that conference?
1: There yep. is, a, there is a, a myth. It's a very deadly myth. Um, it's the myth of the local focus, I call it. Okay? So This myth is, if I, as a church administrator take the bold decision to help enhance and further missions in another territory, my members and my constituents will look at me and say, you shouldn't do this because our resources are for us. Right? Yes. Right. Mission is, we're struggling with that school, we're struggling with this, we're struggling with that, and you're taking the precious few resources yeah. we have and you're gonna send it somewhere else. I think it's a myth, Gary, because my experience of Seventh-day Adventists not the ones that generally are very outspoken, but the regular member in the pew is that the, the dream of the regular member in the pew is to finish this mission. Yes. And to take this gospel absolutely everywhere. So I suspect, and all the evidence points in this direction, is that the members in the pew will highly support leaders who are taking that leap of faith and helping to advance mission beyond their territory. Is that what you see also? That's what I
2: see. In fact, I see that the reverse is true because Ellen White talked about the reflex action.
0: Yeah. The so reflex influence. Th- what is that? In, so so she, she actually says that uh, the prosperity of the homework depends largely under God upon the reflex influence of evangelistic work done in countries afar off. And what she means is that when you are focused outwards as opposed to inwards, which is selfishness, which <laughs> focusing inwards is selfishness, right? Yes. Um, when you're focused on something outwards, then that does something to your mindset and also God will bless you. As you bless, you will be blessed. As you bless, you will be blessed. It's a very good Christian principle. And we actually, it's interesting because when Ellen White said this, which was around the year 1900, there were church leaders in North America who said, no, we either have enough resources to do the mission here in North America or overseas. We don't have enough resources to do both. So this is not, this has been
1: said many times before, even when she was
0: around. but actually, if you trace through the history of the church thereafter and look at the amount of money given to mission, the amount of money given to mission by North Americans, the people who supposedly couldn't, didn't have enough resources to do both, goes up as they also fund the for local missions. So the more that they work outside, the more they give outside, the more resources they find for the work to be done in their own country. And actually, it turns out Ellen White was right. And the the doubters were wrong they did have enough resources to do both because they did it so
1: it is fascinating how god's math is different from <laughs> ours isn't it <laughs> that's true That's yeah. true. If, yeah. sometimes we, we in are many
0: ways. so so i think i think as as you and gary were saying um i believe you know church members in the pew will get excited where they see their local conference taking responsibility for somewhere afar off. There'll always be some naysayers and some doubters, but I think the majority of people would say say yes, and it would make them more excited about mission in their own area as they hear stories. Um, So I think having local conferences and unions taking responsibility for sending church planting teams, as Gary said, or sending um, missionary workers to different territories
1: has a a, a huge amount going for it. Look, I I would suggest this, if there are administrators listening, I would suggest that you just start with prayer. If you're not ready for the resources part, just visit the territory that maybe God inspires in your heart and call the members of your conference or union or whatever to start praying for that territory. Mm. Mm. And that's all you do. You don't have to take that to the executive committee to approve a budget. There's no budget. It's just prayer. And pray for a few months um, and see what God does and and how he leads. Because isn't it the case that every successful mission effort starts with prayer? Mm -hmm. And the reason why I think that's the case is the entire thing is a supernatural process. Mm. And You and I, I think, Gary, can be tempted because you come from a marketing communication background. We can be tempted to believe that the more efficient are our uh, strategies and and more sophisticated our methodology of, of doing it, the better results will come. It doesn't really matter what we do. We need to do the best we can, obviously. But mission, in my experience, when somebody decides to give their life to Christ. That is a supernatural thing yeah. every, no ma- every time, you know? And this is why I've never had the privilege of baptizing anybody that we did not struggle spiritually with, hmm. right? The idea that you're just gonna do something in the digital world is my world. You're just gonna do this digital thing and it's gonna be this wonderful magic pill that everybody gets baptized. That does not happen. It takes people right. on one end of the screen as well as the other end of the screen and everyone is a spiritual struggle before they give their life to Christ. So the entire thing is a supernatural process. Hence prayer is a, is a key to this.
0: Absolutely, amen to that. But just coming back to Global Mission, so yes. Global Mission was set up to, to do church planting. Yes. There's also a previous ancestor to the Office of Adventist Mission though called the Office of Mission Awareness. Yes. And here <clears throat> talking about We've been talking about the way church members are uh, interested in mission and want to know more about it. What was the Office of Mission Awareness, and what did it do, and how come you weren't working for it as when you were the communication director for Global Mission? It's, it seems like you would be working for the Office of Mission Awareness.
2: Right. So, over many decades, if you look at the graph, you'll see that giving to the mission offering has been in decline. Yes, uh, in real terms. In real terms and as a percentage of tithe. Yes, yeah. as, as a
0: net, it's gone up because the membership has gone up and because of inflation. But in real terms and as a percentage of tithe, it's decreased dramatically, actually.
2: Right. So so I was Communication Director for Global Mission, focused on church planting in unentered areas and unentered people groups. But then in the early 2000s, church administrators thought we need to do something about this decline in the mission offerings. So we need to array, array, raise awareness in the churches what's happening in mission, not just global mission, but all the good things we do, hospitals, schools, missionaries, volunteers, every, everything that we do. So in 2004, they set up the Office of Mission Awareness, a separate to, separate to global mission. Global mission kept doing its thing, then they set up this office. Now when I say that office, it took me from global mission, it was me and one other person I believe, yeah. right? <laughs> we were the office, but within a year they thought, well, you know, let's put both under the same umbrella. So let's keep Global Mission, let's keep Mission Awareness, two separate goals, two different activities, but put it under the umbrella of Adventist Mission. So that's what happened. 2005, uh, the Office of Adventist Mission was started with two responsibilities. One, to keep Global Mission, the global strategy, keep that going. And then on the other hand, to keep the awareness of mission going to inspire people to give their mission offerings. So my communication team are somewhat schizophrenic. (laughs) On the the one side, they're promoting global mission, global mission projects, church planting, unreached people, but also look at all the other wonderful things that are happening in mission as well, uh, that, that are supported by your tithes and mission offerings.
0: And how does that work in practice?
2: Wonderful team, great people. And we we feed off each other to a certain extent. For example, we have a magazine called Mission 360 Magazine, and it features everything from ADRA to AWR to uh, media activities to, and global mission. So, the full spectrum of things, but it's talking about global mission as well. Um, so, it's not like we have to put up a big wall between the two, but, right. it, but we do have to keep the interests. of we need. Donations keep coming in for Global Mission to keep Global Mission going because we're supporting hundreds of church planting projects around the world with a very specific focus. And some of these other activities, they have a more general focus uh, you to help build the church in different ways. Ours is very specific, church planting, church planting, church planting. Ask us for funds for a church building and we'll say, church buildings are great, but sorry, you need to go somewhere else. We're church planting.
0: Right, right.
2: We have to keep that focus.
0: Gary Krauss, thank you so much for being with us. Please come back and join us again next episode, where there's more we we can talk about, but we need to draw to a conclusion here. Thanks again for joining us in this episode of Mission 150. Please keep watching on AdventistReview.tv, on the Seventh-day Adventist Church's YouTube channel, or listening on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. If you want to know more about Adventist missionary work and missionaries today, Go to adventismission.org. that's adventismission.org, and if you want to find mission opportunities today, go to VividFaith.com. We'll be back next week with more on the inspiring history of Adventist Mission around the world.